You're listening to The First Bite, presented by Shoreview Industries, a podcast dedicated to taking you through the real stories of entrepreneurs and business owners who have navigated the world of private equity. Welcome, everyone, to the show. I'm your host, Brittany Upman. And I'm Peter Zimmerman. Our conversation today explores a number of topics near and dear to many family business owners from three really unique perspectives. Our guests include a family business owner who sought out a private equity partner to help him accelerate growth, as well as transition out of the day-to-day operations of the business, the CEO who was recruited to replace him, and our colleague at Shoreview, who's had a front row seat over the last five years. We get into a number of topics, including one of the most unique origin stories for a business that I've heard in a long time, which involves a chinchilla farm. We also talk about the background and dynamics that led the family business owner and his siblings to seek a private equity partner for their 50-plus-year-old family business, his advice for others in issues, and perspectives on operating partners, as well as the different flavors of private equity firms that are out there. We then shift gears in the conversation and discuss the process of CEO succession, getting perspectives and advice from all three of our guests on how to execute a successful transition. This was a really interesting conversation, so without further delay, please enjoy the discussion. Today, we're looking forward to exploring the topic of succession planning. To do that, we have three special guests that I wanted to take a minute to introduce. First, we have Chief Executive Officer of Avidity Science, Doug Losey. Hey, Doug. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for joining us today. We also have former CEO, continuing owner, and active board member of Avidity Science, Arthur Edstrom. Hi, Arthur. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, looking forward to the conversation. And then finally, we have Shoreview partner, Scott Gage. Hey, Scott. Hi, Brittany. How are you? Good. Thank you. And Scott, I know you've worked closely with both Doug and Arthur during the Avidity Shoreview partnership. And today, Avidity has grown into a global life sciences product business. Like most entrepreneurial stories, they tend to come from from humble beginnings. Arthur, I, I think it would be interesting if you could take us back a little bit and share with what the er, share a little bit about what the early stages looked like for both you and the business. Yeah, well, it's just uh, uh, really going back my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my parents uh, started a chinchilla ranch uh, in Wisconsin, and that's the the inkling of where this uh, business all started was that my my. Um, my dad was a mechanical engineer by uh, education and by the work that he did during the day. But in the, uh, in the morning and at night, he was a chinchilla rancher. And it started with uh, a few chinchillas in our basement. And uh, when you get a few chinchillas in a basement, they're in cages, of course. Um, uh, all of a sudden, you go from having a few cages to having uh, you know twice as many cages. And then we had cages not only in the basement, but then out in the shed and then out in another shed and then out in the barn. And the uh, chinchillas grew from having a few to having uh, many hundreds of cages of chinchillas. Wow. And um, the reason my parents decided uh, to get into the chinchilla business was that um, my father was always very entrepreneurial and uh, wanted to have his own business. And I think that his view was that chinchillas, (laughs) that was his path to uh, being able to, um, yeah, to be his own boss and, and to have a business that he could um, 
you know, make a living, uh, living from and be able to feed his family. So Arthur, how, how did you go from raising chinchillas to laboratory equipment? <laughs> yeah, it's quite the, quite the little, little step here over the last 50 years. Um, with the chinchillas, uh, chinchillas eat uh, alfalfa hay, they eat uh, perina uh, chincho, and then they also drink water. And the most labor-intensive uh, part, other than maybe baling some hay, you know, w- once a year, uh, was uh, the water and providing. They had water bottles on. We had water bottles on each cage. There were glass water bottles, um, and my mom was involved, and so. Every time that the water bottle was changed, which I think was twice a week, they had to all be washed. So, you know, five, six, seven hundred uh, glass water bottles getting washed. And they had a, they had a glass sipper tube, too. I remember this <laughs> was that they'd, they'd turn green because the water, you know, had been sitting in there a while. And mom would have us use a pipe brush to uh, clean out every one of those sipper tubes. So it was quite the manual process. And my dad being... Uh, you know, kind of like any good mechanical engineer, he decided to uh, work on a way of automating uh, processes. And he bought a lathe and um, started designing a valve that would be on the cage instead of the water bottle. And he came up with a real interesting in- um, way of having tubing to the valve and water to all these cages. And uh, it, it worked extremely well. And that automated watering for chinchillas was sold to pretty much all chinchilla ranchers um, in the United States. And then uh, rabbits drink in a very similar way. And um, so very soon after that, uh, the chinchilla, chinchilla ranchers and rabbit uh, raisers were using the, um, the automated watering system that my parents uh, had uh, had designed. So we went fairly quickly from being in the chinchilla business to being full-blown family business in the kitchen, <laughs> in the garage, um, in some of those same barns, uh, putting together uh, rabbit and chinchilla watering systems that were being shipped out. So aunts, uncles, grandfather, grandmother, great aunt, uh, brothers, sisters, cousins, everybody working on putting a uh, chinchilla and and rabbit pelts uh, together and shipping them out. Well, that, that sounds great to have all the family involved and better than the story of your mom having to clean hundreds and hundreds of the, the watering systems beforehand. So that's great that it was automated. Curious though, having it been a closely family held business, what kind of led you to start considering partnering with private equity? Well, as we fast forward about 45 years, uh, the company, uh, you know, we'd had really good success and gotten gotten into watering of various different types of, of animals in a wide variety of spaces and really found our, really found our niche in, I would say, the mid, the mid-90s in the laboratory space of providing uh, purified water to research mice. <clears throat> and at that time... Um, my father was, let's see, my dad would have been mid-60s at that time. And he was uh, thinking about succession planning and all, and all of that. And uh, family-wise, we decided to, to take a, a second-generation round uh, at the business and continue on pretty much the same path we'd been on, you know, running, running a business with little or no debt, you know, maybe a little liner credit here, here and there. 
but just growing growing a business organically. And I uh, continued to do that for the next, I guess it would have been the next 20 years to get us to 2014, 15. And we had, um, we still didn't have any debt at the time. And uh, it was my siblings and I on, on our board. And we were really looking at, we've got, we had such a great base in, in the research market of like, well, how could we, how could we make a bigger impact with this business without taking on the the debt ourselves and we didn't really know how to use debt all that well and so i called a um a mentor of mine and he said well why don't you have breakfast and lunch with a few people that i know and so i started learning about um investment bankers and and private equity and when you were having those conversations with um, people in the investment banking and private equity industry, what things did you did stuck out to you that you thought were important in selecting a partner? Well, I, I actually thought the investment bankers had the money. I learned pretty quickly that that <laughs> wasn't quite the way that it worked. And, uh, and then I learned that there's all kinds of, uh, of, of private equity. People say that they're private equity that aren't actually private equity. And uh, yeah, lots of lots of different different types of of um, investors out there, and we were you know being very careful with our business. We we'd owned it for fifty years uh, without having outside um, investors in, involved, and so we were yeah just really trying to learn about well what was the possibility, who actually you know had the money, and if they did invest, like how would they uh, in, invest with us. Yeah, Arthur, one one of our colleagues likes to say that similar to, you know, uh, if you if you need to go to the doctor, well, there's a lot of different kinds of doctors out there for different sorts of situations. And similarly, you know, pri- private equity is, is analogous in that there's a lot of different types of private equity out there. So uh, as you think about that process that you went through, as you started to meet uh, potential firms to partner with, and you put yourself back in your in 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 you know the sho- your shoes from that time period. W- what do you think the most important questions uh, were that you asked people people to to help you vet whether they were the right fit for your family business or not? Well, I appreciate the question because was, we we spent a lot of time. Um, we spent a, I think it was probably a year um, speaking with different all kinds of different firms that had all kinds of different things to potentially offer. And I was interested in that uh, a, a few things with, with, uh, with my business was that I had, um, I had an indication that we had opportunities internationally to grow sub- substantially. Um, I was kind of making it up <laughs> in growing internationally, having some success. Uh, but not really with a with a, a strong strategy, and I knew I needed uh, significant investment and expertise in that area, and it was something that I really wanted to do. Then I felt that in in my niche industry that I was in, you know, we have trade shows and things like that in this in this niche, that there was a certain level of I don't want to be impolite, but a kind of complacency in that all of our businesses had been successful for quite a long time and that there was a certain energy that I felt needed to be or could be injected into our into our industry if I could get um, 
the right partners uh, to help me, you know, pot potentially through do doing some um, some acquisitions in that space. And then I felt that in general for life sciences is that that there was just a lot of opportunity and that I didn't know, I didn't fully know what those were. I just felt that they were there. Uh, and so I was looking for um, a partner that would do a little, it was more than just, uh, you know, go, going to provide money and, and look at spreadsheets and numbers. I wanted a partner that would really help uh, me understand the the opportunities and and be willing to understand what that customer base looked like and understand what our what our solutions, our, our products and services were that we could offer offer to those customers. So someone that was more than just money. I didn't I, I wanted I wanted smart business people that could help me really develop out the strategy and execute on it. Yeah. And I, I understand, you know, from talking to Scott that another element for you was, you know, you were running the business as a CEO day to day and, and you were looking to make a change in that respect as well. How, how did that factor into the I, both timing of bringing on a partner as well as, you know, what you were looking for from them? Yeah. Well, I took a critical look at my, my skill set and that with what, what we were seeing, we, what we thought the business could do. Uh, I just thought it leveled above my experience and that um, I, I had a feeling that I could learn to, to be that, but I didn't want to take a decade <laughs> to try to learn to be that kind of, of, of leader. Uh, I was like, there's smart people out there. So let's not have me be the CEO. Let's go out and hire a true, you know, true professional that has experience that can really hit the ground running uh, with this business. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it's certainly something that, you know, we, we think of as a, a big piece of our day jobs is helping, you know, when it comes to making key C level hires, you know, just having that experience of doing it many times. Um, it's, it's definitely something we, we try to bring to the table. Um, I yeah, guess that, I did yeah. talk, excuse me, I, I did talk with um, some firms that, you know, the very first time that I talked to them, they brought in kind of like an operational team, you know, for the first time that I was meeting them. And I found that quite to be a, a turnoff was that, you know, I wanted to discuss it. I don't want to be told here, here's who they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wanted to be part of the process of, of being able to slack, not have it imposed on me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, not only is that the right thing to do, uh, but but also just for the business. I mean, you know, in a first meeting, you know, we certainly don't know anything really. And uh, to, to come in and be presumptuous, I think, is is a bit premature. Yeah, I was trying to be careful with, you know, I, you know, our business, we'd been in business almost 50 years at that time, had, you know, employees that I, you know, great employees and employees that, that my family cared about. And, and care about um, and customers that we care about. So we don't want to, we don't want to disrupt what it was that we had at our core. We just want them to greatly enhance what we were doing. So we were very careful in listening to how potential investors were speaking of treating existing customers, existing uh, employees and not wanting to um, have a big disruption in that. So Scott, I guess listening to what Arthur 
has described as far as the situation, you know, and, and in their search for a private equity partner, could you maybe give us some perspective from the other side of the table? When you first got introduced to the opportunity and, and, and Arthur and his team, what excited you about it? Yeah, thanks, Peter. I think uh, when you listen to Arthur talk about not only how the business was started, but how it grew and some of the attributes of the company, the number one word that comes to my mind is unique. It just hit so many different categories. And every time we talked internally at Shoreview about uh, Arthur's business, we described it as unique. And I would say, first off, it really hit the first bell of a family-run business. That is the bread and butter of what we do at Shoreview. We love to invest in family and entrepreneur-owned businesses. And at the time, the business was owned by Arthur and his three siblings, and they were the second generation uh, in the family to be the owners of the company. And, and really, uh, what's unique about that, they had a lot of second-generation businesses. The family really... Uh, kind of continues on with what was done by the first generation, but not here. The unique attribute was Arthur and his siblings had really taken the business to new levels, grown it, uh, expanded internationally. It was just very impressive that the second generation here of the family had really taken the business to new levels. So we really saw that. And you know, I'd say from a, what was the business doing we really liked the fact that it had a leadership position. Uh, we learn something new every day by looking at these companies. And I will honestly say, Arthur, I had never heard of automated watering in a vivarium, which uh, vivarium, <laughs> I had to actually look up the term vivarium to know what that was. Uh, but it's a, uh, a laboratory setting. And <clears throat> your business was the absolute leader in that industry, in an industry I'd never heard of. And you were, the more we learned in talking to people in and around your universe, you were the Kleenex of the industry. So a very unique business, you had established a number one market position in what you do by far. And that was really exciting to us. And, and I would say, finally, Peter, what else did we like? We really liked the fact that while the second generation, Arthur and his siblings, had grown the business above and beyond what the first generation had, they were very unique in that they had taken steps to professionalize and institutionalize the business. They had put in place a very sophisticated Oracle ERP system. They had hired very strong professional managers to run various parts of the business. So they had done all the types of things that a private equity firm usually does right away, but they had done it within the family setting. So here was a business in an industry that is a enormous global industry, life sciences, with a family that had uh, institutionalized and grown the business and really set it up in a marketplace where, as Arthur mentioned, a lot of the competitors and people in the industry were also of that second generation and they had not aggressively grown or looked to grow the business. So we saw a great opportunity to come in, back the team, invest additional capital, and really do something special in an industry that really had not stepped up to that next level of growing a business. Yeah, that's that's really impressive. And I, I echo that, uh, Arthur. It's, it's pretty uncommon for... Uh, 
in, in terms of what we see for family business uh, to make those kinds of investments and have that kind of foresight. Um, so I can definitely see why Scott was excited. Yeah. And, and I would say the other thing, Peter and, and Arthur, to your credit, what's always helpful to us, and you were crystal clear from the first conversation we had about your intentions, your desire to say, I've been the CEO. I really want to just transition to a board level position. And part of what would be attractive to me uh, would be if you, Shoreview, could help us find a top level executive to bring in, knowing that I, Arthur, want to retire from this day-to-day operational role in six to 12 months. And having that level of clarity going into an investment partnership was essential for us to to understand what you wanted, address that, and and work together with you after we closed our investment partnership to find the right leader for the business. But that clarity, again, using the term unique, is unique in a process and was very much appreciated from our perspective. And I, I think having that, as you said, Scott, clarity in the beginning makes it easier going through that recruiting process to find the right candidate. And I think that brings us to you, Doug. Uh, I know that you had a lot of different experiences growing up from on a pig farm in Wisconsin to then running, being a rock star executive at an Asian subsidiary of a multi-billion dollar corporation. I'm curious, what attracted you to this family-run business, um, and what really kind of piqued your interest in the conversations with both Scott and Arthur? Well, yeah, thank you, Brittany. And, and um, it, it's, a, it's a couple of interesting things happened along the way, of course. I did spend a lot of time in a, in a very large corporation, and what, what I was fortunate in my time there, I had some unique opportunities to really have the ability to to influence and grow a business in particular the my time in asia was unique because in the big corporate monolith we were able to make decisions and and make stuff happen which in many large companies can sometimes be difficult because of the bureaucracy and things like this but it helped me to it exposed me to to a concept of leadership that that not a lot of people in those large corporations um, get to experience. And what when I received a phone call about this this business in southeastern Wisconsin, needless to say, I was immediately um, interested. Be, having grown up here, I thought, "Wow, there, there's a life science tools company right near where I where I grew up." And and I, I had to learn about this this business and and understand because what became apparent really quick to me was when i learned more about what the company was all about and i learned about the partner the investment partner that they had brought into the mix it really appeared to be another opportunity to um, to experience and really drive uh, growth sustainable profitable growth in an entity and really be dynamic and i think that was that ability to be dynamic which was really grounded in having a, a, a great business to start with and the right partner who is supportive of, of a growth strategy was, um, was an opportunity that was, uh, was too good to pass up and, um, and made, that, made that decision to, to join the company and, and begin the journey. And Arthur, yeah, from, 
from your perspective, you were running the day day to day for many years. Um, I'm sure going through the recruiting process and thinking about bringing on a CEO, I, I know that's where your head was at going into it. But did you have any initial concerns about taking that that step back from the day to day and having someone like Doug come in and, and come on board as CEO? I, I, maybe I should have, (laughs) no, I I was, I was far down that path. I, I came to the realization that for a company like ours and in in the position that we were in that, you know, kind of, kind of a secret in this was that I needed to have the investment backing to even go out into the world to try to attract somebody like Doug to, to join our company. If we, I think, if we had still been completely private and debt, you know, not not willing to do have debt and, and all of that, uh, we were we were we'd be in a we were in a different boat to be able to attack re- um, attract talent, and by having the the financial backing from Shoreview, it just opened up a whole world of opportunity for the type of talent that would want to join um, that would want to join a company like ours, and without that. We wouldn't have the opportunity to have someone of Doug's caliper uh, running our business. So, Arthur, a follow-up there. You clearly were uh, had a lot of clarity of thought around what you wanted, and that's uh, maybe a little bit rare, but but uh, I'm sure made the transition a lot easier. But as you as you maybe think back to that time period when when Doug first came on. Um, and you were you were making the transition out of the day to day of the business to a board a board role. Is there any advice? If, if, if imagine yourself talking to another entrepreneur in a in a similar situation, what what advice would you give them? Either philosophical slash emotional, or maybe just tactical, as to how to make a CEO transition successful. Well, I think there's there's two pieces to it. Um, <clears throat> sometimes kind of off the cuff with uh, peers of mine, I recommend that they fire themselves. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it, you know, there's talent out there. You don't have to be doing this the way that you're doing that you're doing it. Um, and I often mean it, you know, sincerely and can explain more detail of why uh, having them transition with a uh, professional CEO in place could be very good for their business. Uh, on the other side, during the, tr- the transition, I think maybe the thing that I found the most challenging was uh, Doug reviewing all of my mistakes and then pointing, <laughs> pointing them out <laughs> over the following months. And uh, he's like, well, why did you do this? <laughs> why did you do that? I was like, yeah, it's easy for you to look at now. At the time, it seemed like a good idea. Um but seriously, you know, at times I, you know, it's, you're like, man, yeah, that was not, not all that good of a decision that I made. But I think it was a combination really of having um, Shoreview and myself as the board and then working, you know, as a team with Thug. Um, I don't know. We hit, I'd say we hit the ground running. Yeah, that's great. And and Doug, I want to turn the question around and and basically flip it to you. As you, as you think about giving advice to maybe somebody in a similar situation coming into a family-owned business, 
you know, what are the one or two things that you would say uh, or, or would advise them to do based on your experience that you think would help them be successful? Yeah. So um, what what I didn't do was was describe to Arthur the mistakes that we that we may have uncovered because they weren't mistakes. Because the first thing, the first thing that that I would recommend to anybody in the process that we took on here was you really need to take a step and define reality. And you need to define reality in the lens by which you see the future of the business. And in some cases, that requires that you take a relatively harsh look at any and all decisions. But you have to remember that those decisions were also made in a given context at a given period of time with a given set of unknowns. But if you, as a business leader coming into to any business, especially one positioned for growth, defining reality in across both functional and, and execu- execution uh, parameters is, is step one. And the, the extension of that, you know, one of the things that I find to be really, really, really helpful when you go through that process is that you take a dedicated amount of time in those early, early several weeks and you talk to people throughout the company. And it's more than just introducing yourself, but it's dedicating an hour of your time to talk to not just your staff and not just your staff staff, but people throughout the organization. And you ask them thought-provoking, open-ended questions about what's worked, what hasn't worked, uh, what would they like to see, without making judgment. It's about collecting that feedback and that information, and then the ability to process that quickly and clearly all comes back to the ability to define reality, because you can't set an effective strategy for growth if you don't really know where your start, where your starting point is. And you know, Arthur, Arthur and his family made many, many great decisions along the way. It was my job to figure out, well, how did they come to that decision? What can I learn from from those decisions, as well as the ones that maybe didn't work out the way they had wanted to? And then that only then can you really set the stage for 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 continued growth in the business. So that that for me is is. I'd recommend to anybody that defining reality in the harshest and most complete way possible very early on can set the stage for longer term success. Yeah. And we were joking, Arthur was joking about the mistakes you pointed out, but clearly there are a lot of good things happening in the business as well. As you think about, you know, your first days on the job, what are some, what are those strengths that you noticed in the business that stand out to you? Yeah, so th- there are several. I think a couple that that come to mind is, you know, Scott mentioned earlier that the product portfolio was really viewed amongst our customer base as the Kleenex of the industry. I mean, that it is not often. In fact, most people never get to have the opportunity to work in a business where you are the the undoubted leader of a particular industry and. What that gives you is such a position of strength by which you can actually take the next steps in growing. Uh, it gives you, you know, credibility that you can then extend into new and different areas that maybe you haven't played in historically. And that was that was fundamentally important to the, building that business over over 50 years. And what what Arthur and the organization had done, coupled with that, had created an, a model of scalable operational excellence. So the business itself 
could support growth uh, by just doing more of a lot of the great work that was already in place. Uh, Scott had talked about the professionalization. There were several steps that were taken along the way to really bring this company and position it for growth that a lot of small companies you wouldn't expect to have in place uh, in those early days. And so in many cases, it was more about how do we refine and expand upon some of that foundational work rather than adding foundational elements in order to grow. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a pretty good situation to step into. Uh, it was for somebody with your background. Uh, I, uh, I'm curious, you know, how do you go about taking that solid foundation and building on it uh, and and sort of balancing shift maybe shifting the mindset of the organization in certain ways while also preserving what's made it what it is to you know at that point. Yeah, th- this is this is um, what, as I reflect back in those those probably those first six months. This was what those first six months really represented. So you spend a bit of time defining reality. And then you, you really start to look at what your strategic framework needs to be. And, and fundamentally, what, what we tried to do is to, as we define reality and the opportunities, we tried to really simplify the core competencies of the business. What did we do that no one else in the world could just copy or say that they do? How, how do those core competencies then lend itself to, to developing a strategic growth plan? And, and some of that is you know, you have to have the willingness to be aspirational. You know, the, the path forward is, is not necessarily very clear in those early days. So you have to force yourself to find uh, and define some aspirations about where you can see this business going, understanding the big picture. And we did a lot of that work with the, with the executive team in those early days. And, and it was about trying to find... A lot of times it's very easy to find somebody that can tell you the 10 reasons why something can't happen. We tried to find the one reason that it could and focus on that and see how that could help formulate our strategy and ultimately um, define our path forward. Uh, but that, that was about you know, shifting that, that mindset, um, moving from a high-performing mindset to a high-growth, high-performing mindset it is, it's one of the important steps that, that I feel you need to take very early on in the process to, to get you on the right path. Uh, I'm curious, as you were going along, you know, after that initial phase of assessing the company and where it was at, how, how, did, how did you and Arthur sort of build a cadence of, and, and how did you uh, draw upon his experience and knowledge base that was obviously steeped in the business uh, to help you be successful in the role? Arthur, do you let him go first or would you like me to? I mostly stayed out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Arthur understates a bit on on his influence uh, because, you know, as as I was getting to understand the business, you know, it it is businesses develop culture over time. And when in a business like ours, which has, you know, been successful for 50 years, the, the roots run very, very deep. And so the question you get to ask yourself as a leader is, is what can you change at what pace after you define what has to change, right? You know, 
one of the things I really valued over the course of the last couple of years is having candid conversations about individuals, whether they were leaders or or other folks in the organization, because you got to remember that Arthur and his family grew up with a lot of these folks. He knew them his, his entire life, and I've known them for maybe a couple of months or, or at best a couple of years. And you know, the, the at the end of the day, successfully growing a business like this, it 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 all begins with the people. So Arthur's guidance and insights to the to the talented individuals in the organization and and the things that were working or made things that we should be looking at proved really, really valuable um, to to make sure we had the right organization. Uh, but adding on top of that, understanding how we play in this industry, how we're positioned, because we've had to make some pretty important decisions over time about how we position our products and, and, and our, our brand and our execution. And those are things that as, as a leader coming in from the outside, even having been in this similar industry for a long time, those are things that aren't intuitive. And, uh, and as a leader, you need to draw from those to, to whatever extent you can. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. That's, that's great. Um, I, I want to shift it a little bit and ask Scott a question, um, which is, you, you know, as you think about the role of a private equity firm, you know, uh, we're often presented with situations where someone says, Hey, I want to retire or, or there's a leadership transition at the top. H- how do you think about, uh, the role of, of the private equity firm and what, you know, specifically goes through your mind in a situation like that, how you can help the business, um, what you can and can't do and, and how to essentially set it up for uh, success. Yeah, it's a great question, Peter. And I think the first and foremost thing that we like to have is clarity. And that really takes an executive, if they're in a family business or, or not a family business, understanding and effectively communicating what their plans are, what their timeline is, and where they see themselves through the course of our investment period. I mean, we normally invest in a company for five to eight years, and that's a long time. And the reality is a lot can happen in an executive's life during that time period. So first and foremost, it's clarity. But our role really is to make sure that we have with that clarity, the right person in the role for where the business not only is today, but where it's headed. So this example that we're talking about today with Avidity is a perfect example of we saw just a fantastic company, but with just a tremendous amount of growth potential that really required someone like Doug. And our role was to find someone who could convince everyone within the company as an outsider what the path was, what the vision is, and to navigate those tough discussions and decisions along the way, but then be an effective leader when we get there. So that's really our role. It's to figure out how to get that person who can guide that tough journey, uh, but then run the business when we arrive there. And so along the way, we've had a lot of acquisitions, as Doug mentioned, Uh, But there's a lot of decisions that happen on a day-to-day basis that as an outsider, particularly in a family business, you've had executives who are known and sometimes comfort is uh, embedded in the known. And when someone comes in, although someone may not have liked decisions that were made by a family, uh, they were known 
known quantities, known uh, people, and those decisions just become ingrained as, as a trust level. So when someone like Doug comes in, it's convincing people that he's the right person to follow, even though he's new. And our job, along with the executive that's departed, in this case, Arthur, is to give someone like Doug the latitude and the trust to put in place his plan to handle relationships, to handle decisions, and to have some of those tough conversations along the way. And that really enables an executive to get their legs under them and to really uh, make that company their own in terms of a leadership perspective. So our role really is to find the right people uh, who are suited for that and give them the latitude to operate. And of course, with our support and, and our, our backing and, and our input, but uh, that's really the role of, of, we're not operators, as uh, Arthur mentioned. We didn't come in and say we have operating partners. Our role is really to help the company from a board level make good decisions and back them with capital and experience and input from other investments. And, and really, uh, Doug has taken that and run with it. And this is the example we're talking about today is a classic example of all parties really understanding their role, not only Shoreview, but Arthur is someone who transitioned into just a board level and, and giving that executive the trust they need and the tools they need to really take the company on that journey to, to really getting to the vision that they've outlined. Thanks, Scott. That, that's really interesting and helpful perspective. And I, I want to turn it to Doug now. And we've, we've talked a lot about the growth potential of the business and, and some of the plans that both Arthur had for it and, and that you've picked up the mantle and run with. Could you talk a little, just help us get, give paint us a picture of what you've accomplished over the last couple of years in terms of the evolution of the business? Yeah. So thank you for that question. I mean, we're, we're really proud of what we've accomplished. Um, you know, if we take a step back now, um, five or so years, or a little less than that into this, this journey, what we've been able to do is we've been able to nearly triple the business um, over the course of time. And we've been able to do that both by diversification and by strengthening the core. And that was super critical. We had this wonderful business, well-positioned in, in one particular area of supporting life sciences research. And what we knew was, is we couldn't, we couldn't do anything to disturb that strength. We actually had to build on that strength in order to ensure we had runway to, to, get, um, to deliver strong growth. And what that's entailed for us over the course of, over the last couple of years is We've completed um, a handful of acquisitions, which have provided the diversification both in product as well as in region. So, you know, the business was very, very strong in North America. Dominated, you know, eighty plus percent of the business was was in this region, um, and had made some interesting inroads to uh, to other parts of the world. What we aspired to do was to have our sales match roughly what the market sizes were around the world, which meant that 40 to 50% of the business should have been in North America. And we're now, a handful of years later, we're actually approaching that relative mix where almost nearly half of our business is now outside of North America. Um, and so that global foundation 
along with a strengthened core business. And then we've been able to diversify in supporting other areas of research, all leveraging those core competencies I talked about earlier. It's, it's, it's all about how can we make sure we understand really what we're good at and can we expand that in ways into new products and new parts of the world? So to sit here today, we're, you know, just a couple of years ago, we had we had one location in, in, in the US and now we have a location in the US, Europe, Japan, China. It's 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 humbling to think how quickly um, all this is, has transpired over the past couple of years. But I do think it is a testament to to the model that that Shoreview and, and Arthur have created in terms of how the business is supported. You know, from from the jump, when we built our first strategic plan, we said this is what we want to do. We're committed to diversification, growing around the world and strengthening our core. And we've had even, you know, it, it you know, in the course of this conversation, it might sound like the whole thing was easy. I can assure you there were some bumps in the road along the way. <laughs> and um, to have the support on an ongoing basis when when we find out things that do go well and things that we need to adjust and having the guidance and the engagement uh, to to make the right decisions has been super critical to to where we are and and what it what it means to us now. I mean, we we really think that the possibilities um, um, continue to expand. It's it, the flywheel of momentum that we all aspire to build in a given business. It's sometimes hard to get going, but once you get going, it really gets exciting and, and we're really pleased as to how far we've come. Doug, that growth you described, that's really impressive. And Arthur, one last question I think would be interesting to leave our, our listeners with is what has it that been like for you from the board level to witness this business started as a ch chinchilla rancher business? Uh, with your family, extended family, what has that been like for you to to see the the growth over you know the past several years? Well, uh, one aspect of it has been uh, a little surreal. It started with a a marker on a on one uh, page of a flipboard, you know, of like what could we do, um, and to to see where where we've come since that time is uh, it's it's really just stunning. And it does go back to my parents really building some just simple core values that have, have been followed in the in the company. I, I know my, my dad had the the saying of the baker's dozen, which is you know always give the customer just a little bit more than what they're expecting. And I think that we've have followed that the entire time that, that our business has been in existence. And I know that Doug still follows that uh, to to this day. And um, I mean, the future for our business is, is fantastic. You know, so I think Doug had a good word, humbling. Well, thank you, Doug, Scott, and Arthur. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think our listeners will too. It's amazing to see the relationship that the two of you have. And I think definitely, like Scott mentioned earlier, having that clarity going into the partnership and, and knowing, Arthur, what you and the goals of the family, what the goals look like. Um, I think has really set up the team for success. So congrats on all of that. Um, look forward to continuing to watch the business grow. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to The First Bite, presented by Shoreview Industries. We hope you enjoyed the show. To learn more about Shoreview or to get in touch, please go to our website at www.shoreview.com.